Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I'm Jeremiah Shan. Joining me today is... Tim Foss, what's up? Yeah, just, just the two of us today. Uh... Hoping we'll we'll be getting the bigger group together sooner than later. But for now, you're gonna have to live with me and Tim. Hopefully, that's okay. Uh, but the Sounders are are coming off a fun one against Minnesota United. Uh, they're back to two, two, and one on the regular season. I think if you had said at the you know if at the beginning of the year you had said the Sounders would be at you know not necessarily how they got there, but they're at two, two, and one, and in the semifinals of the Champions League, I think you'd probably take that right like this is this is about as good as you could draw up i think absolutely i i was talking with someone this weekend and i think it's so easy to really get focused on the league performances but the the sounders if you look at all competitions which sometimes is sort of like a flimsy way of looking at things but it's not like they've played some slouches in champions league play. If you add champions league play in they're four, two and three. Right. And you know, after last night, they're outscoring opponents 12 to six. Yeah. That's through pretty good. all of those games. Like that's, if you score twice as many goals as your opponent on average, like yeah. that's, you are going to win more of your games than you lose. Yeah, no, I, I would I would agree with that. Uh, the other thing I think is somewhat notable, it's been pointed out a few places uh, that the Sounders' uh, ex- expected goals against in MLS play is pretty bad. I don't remember. It's like near the bottom of the league. Um, but what I thought was interesting is that their overall ex- uh, expected goal difference is about even, like almost exactly even, uh, which is to say they've been almost as good. They've been better, I guess, even better uh, expected goal difference in champions league than they have been bad in, in MLS. And, you know, and that's with, you know, you, you give up a penalty. I mean, I guess that's, you, you could kind of like chalk that up to penalties going either way, but I, I think overall it's, it's hard not to be pretty satisfied with this team, especially when you consider that they have been missing key components once again for most of the year, you know, uh, Ladero made his first appearance since the season opener against Minnesota. Reed Diaz made his first appearance since the of the of the regular season. Uh, Madranda hasn't played yet. Uh, Jamar has missed the last three games. So you know they they've been doing this while missing a lot of their best players. And oh by the way, they've got they've had guys going out to international duty all the time. Like whatever the excuses of the past, I think would still be present here. And they're the excuses that uh, are not excuses, but they're the same cause for concern that, you know, like 
we, there was a quote today uh, from Bruce Arena talking about how, you know, it's almost impossible for MLS teams to compete in Champions League when the Champions League is this early in the season. And then he sort of notes like, well, okay, I guess Seattle is doing okay, but everyone else, uh, it's impossible. And and I mean, on, on one hand, it's it's funny because it's from Bruce, but on the other, it's, I think, a testament to what the Sounders have been able to do so far this year. Yeah, absolutely. I I think to your point, they the Sounders have also with Jamar's absences, you know, they've given significant minutes to Jackson Reagan. They've given some pretty significant minutes to Abdullah Sissoko. Those are your to Obed Vargas to Obed Vargas, who now has played in maybe all but one game this season. He's had a bunch of starts in there and has at no point looked out of place and consistently looks like he's a guy that Brian Schmetzer has to find ways to get onto the field. Um, it's, it's really impressive so far. Yeah. And we didn't, I knew who's missed some games too. We should say uh, Kellen Rowe has had to deputize as the left back in man. It feels like at least half the, half the games, uh, it's funny, we went into this year saying like how, okay, well, for all the complaints about Kellen Rowe, the reality is he's not going to play as much as he did last year. And yet here he is playing as much as he, he you know, I, I would own, I haven't like charted it out, but I suspect he's on a similar trajectory in terms of playing time as he was last year. But I got to say, Kellen Rowe has been, has, has looked really good for the most part at left back. Like he, he has barely missed, you know, certainly... I think the Minnesota game was maybe his best performance of the season. And I don't remember a single mistake he made. Uh, And this is a guy who is not, this is not his natural position at all. And I think he's looked great as, as, I mean, at least he looked great in this game at at left back. Yeah. I, Kellen Rowe is playing his like fourth or fifth best position and putting in significant minutes there. And, so far, the Kellen Road doubters and haters have been relatively quiet for that group. Um, he's he's not given them a lot of reason to be mad that he's on the field. It, you know, and I guess maybe if if you're looking for a defense of the uh, of the haters, it's that w- where you most hear the complaints is when they are in, when he's playing in uh, the central midfield, and he hasn't really had to play as a central midfielder almost at all this year. Um, I'm looking back at the, he's, he's at 255 minutes. He's played in all five regular season games. So yeah, I mean, he's, he's on pace to, to probably do similar work that he did last year, but I, I think he has been, you know, the roles that he's been asked to play have been much more, uh, you know, like much more manageable. Uh, he's, I, I think Obed Vargas has stepped in ably as a central midfielder to sort of relieve the need to play, uh, row in the central midfield. And, and I think what we're seeing is that his versatility is being highlighted in a way that wasn't always highlighted last year because he was playing sort of in the middle of the park so much that it, it didn't always feel like you didn't always get this appreciation for just how varied his game was. Whereas now you're, you're seeing it, you know, he's moving all over the field. Uh, but I don't want to get, I don't want to get caught up in, in Kellen Rowe hype here. Uh, I, I think the more exciting thing, the bigger development out of uh, yesterday's game was the central midfield. And I, and I, and I say that it was uh, Jao Paolo and, and uh, 
Albert Rusnak in a double pivot in a 4-2-3-1. Uh, Ladero was starting as the number 10. And then I thought an interesting note from Brian Schmetzer after the game. And if you, and I actually went back and watched the watched and, and I think you can see this in a lot of the, the Sounders best moments, Christian Roldan also pinching in from the right and essentially creating almost like a box midfield for the Sounders. That was super effective. And there's not really a classic defensive midfielder in that. I, I, I understand that in some ways, Jao Paulo does a lot of that work, but there's, when he's your only like real defensive player in that group, you know, it, it has the potential to maybe leave you exposed, but I don't know on the road against Minnesota, a team that I think is probably going to compete is certainly a playoff, almost certainly a playoff team. And, and, you know, I don't think they're a American heavyweight uh, to take a term from our favorite announcer in Minnesota, but they are expected to be one of the better teams in the league. Uh, certainly in the Western conference and the Sounders went on the road and held up great. And like, I'm really excited about this central midfield quartet. Yeah. Uh, Minnesota is, I, I can't speak to, uh, you know, substantially to the style that they play necessarily, but they're certainly not a team that you would expect to go to their, go to their stadium and dominate the ball and especially not the way that the Sounders did in that first 45 minutes where I think there might've been one five minute interval where the Sounders didn't have the majority of possession. And a lot of the time it was by a margin of like 60 to 40% possession. The Sounders just had a stranglehold on the game and were really, I think in large part through draw Paolo just doing whatever they wanted with the ball. Which we're not used to seeing, especially on the road, but the Sounders have been at their best this year. It seems when they have a possession disadvantage, when they're out getting when they're mostly in transition and looking for counters, you know, that's when they were at their best against Leon, which up until this game, I thought was their best performance. And then uh, against the galaxy, they are also were and that was even at home. They were in transition a lot. Uh, even though all those goals were, were scored on set pieces, you know, and it was, so it was reassuring that the Sounders were able to create so much danger from open play uh, because we haven't seen that a lot this year. Uh, they are almost exclusively been a team that needs to, you know, rely on set pieces or counterattacks to create danger. And while I think both their goals were effectively in transition, they were they were consistently creating dangerous opportunities uh, from from possession. Yeah, I think the the goals may have technically come from transition opportunities, but it wasn't like oh they played two passes after a tackle or a turnover and bang goal. It was a turnover. They play with some possession and move the ball forward, and then. Uh, you know, the Jordan Morris own goal that he created, it's a four pass series that happens really quickly um, with a really nice, you know, a, a really clever play between, I think it's row Morris. Uh, oh, maybe that's the Jean Paulo goal that was like row Morris Ladero Jean Paulo after a couple other passes, but 
they the team that they put out is definitely still capable of playing in transition but you also have a you know Nico Ladero is at his best when he's on the ball a lot Joao Paulo is at his best when he's on the ball a lot Albert Rusnak is not necessarily a high touch guy but especially if you're playing him in a double pivot and you know the guys that are around him he can if his job is to make sure that you keep the ball and you're moving it forward he can do a really good job getting on the ball a lot they I think Joe Paolo had 90 some touches there were more than a couple guys who had 70 like 77 75 Christian Roldan had a ton of touches like they were all over the ball and Minnesota really wasn't doing anything to stop them. Absolutely. Uh, this was a game that saw Rusnak, I think, get his highest touch count of the season. He uh, was something like 61 for 71 passing. He, you know, and I, I earlier on this year, someone pointed out, I don't, I, I'm sure I'm stealing this from someone, that he has sort of a little uh, Darlington Nagby in him, which is he's just really hard to get off the ball. And not always quite as goal dangerous as you might expect him to be. And he hasn't been like if that's if there's been one criticism of him this year, and I think uh, it's it's a fair criticism that he hasn't really been super goal dangerous at any point this year. But maybe the Senators don't need him to do that, and I think that that's fine. Like I'm I'm perfectly if if he plays like he did against Minnesota on, and that's sort of like the version of him that we're getting. I have no problem. Like if he ends up with like a couple, you know, a handful of assists and in a and a couple goals but he's pinging the ball around like the way he was yesterday. I have no problem with that at all. Uh, Ladero, I think this, this was maybe the most encouraging stat that I saw from Ladero was he had something like 46 touches in 45 minutes, which is, you know, about a touch per minute. And this is the rate. That's the kind of rate that we're used to seeing Ladero at, but it's not a rate that he reached really at any point last year. Uh, he hadn't done that in the earlier games this year. And so I think it, what it tells me is that, he actually is feeling comfortable. He's feeling fit. He can move around. I mean, I think we just saw him moving around in a way that we hadn't seen him move in a couple seasons. That was all very, very encouraging to me. And yeah, you know, that, that midfield doesn't look like a traditional Sounders midfield, but man, it's really versatile. It's really exciting. And it led to some really, really fun soccer. Yeah. Uh, if anyone had any question whether Nicoladero was really and truly back, I think the volley that he hit off of that the Joao Paulo pass, remarkable yeah. looping pass from Joao Paulo was the sign that he's he's feeling good. You yeah. do not go for that if you're like iffy on if your body's going to let you still. Right. Yeah. It was, and he, he hit it really well. I mean, he, Dane St. Clair had it pretty well covered, but. He stung. He's he hit the shit out of the ball. I mean, he did a very good job with the ball, uh, with the shot, I should say. Uh, the other player who I think deserves some praise is Stefan Fry. Did not have to make a lot of like acrobatic saves, but he did have to make a couple stops where balls were hit kind of directly at him. But he did a wonderful job of not spilling rebounds, and which made what made that so hard. If you look at the the turf. Like, I, I think if you watched the game, you saw how badly beaten up that grass was, but it was especially bad in that six yard box right in front of where the goalkeeper 
is standing. And there was a shot, especially right at the end, where someone just smashed a shot and it was essentially right at him. And it bounced off the turf, off this beat up turf. And he covered it and handled it just absolutely like he made it look relatively easy. But he had to make a few of those saves that were not nearly as easy as they looked, I don't think. It's, it's, I think maybe more so than any other position, very easy to forget how good a really good goalkeeper is. But a performance like that one was a good reminder that Steph is certainly capable of making the spectacular acrobatic saves, but he's also a wonderfully secure player to have at the back that he got scored on on a penalty but that was the only point where he really allowed them to have a genuinely dangerous chance they hit the woodwork a couple of times but otherwise there wasn't really a point where you ever thought that oh fry fry might get beat here um that's that's not necessarily the same as great as Stephen Cleveland has been. Um, you know, you just worry a little bit more naturally when it's a younger, less experienced guy. And Stephen Fry is still one of the best goalkeepers in the league. It's not always the saves you make. It's the shots you don't have to save. You know, it's the... It's it's the rebounds you don't spill. It's the uh, saves that you make look easier than they have to be. And I think that's where, you know, I think we can maybe, maybe we've always appreciated this, but I think we're really learning to appreciate uh, how well Steph is at not allowing more dangerous shots than he needs to. Like he's never his own worst enemy. And, you know, that's, that's super valuable, especially when you have a team, uh, like this, like as talented as the Sounders is like, you just don't you need to not beat yourself. Uh, you know, and speaking of sort of like those underappreciated arts, uh, there was a moment late in this game where uh, Obed Vargas once again had, you know, uh, another game where it was very easy to find points of appreciation. I think he was 17 for 17 passing. Uh, he was, you know, he, he was cutting out. He was he was p- jumping passing lanes. He was doing all the stuff that you you want a young defensive midfielder to do. But there was a moment at the end there where uh, third minute stoppage time, something like that, and there was a ball near the 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 sideline, and it pops and it goes out of bounds, and it kind of pops back to him, and he does this little flick just to sort of like delay it a little bit more. And Emmanuel Reynoso ends up shoving him to the ground. Kellen Rowe comes rushing over and does the sort of like. I'm here to save you sort of thing that uh, you always want your older teammates to do. But I just thought it was such a great little moment that Obed seems to understand the art of picking up those few little seconds here and there uh, of delaying games. And yes, the game ended up getting, you know, like two minutes of stoppage time, which was he had nothing to do with, but it was just this perfect little moment. I thought. Yeah, I, I think you have to you have to just marvel at the maturity of Obed Vargas, who at 16, we've seen this remarkable maturation on the field, as well as, uh, you know, I know you've spoken about his interviewing skills, um, 
which are certainly beyond what you would expect from a 16 year old, his understanding of that situation where, oh, you know, we're, we kind of need to kill this game off. We're not getting as much of the ball as we were earlier. The ball's in front of me. I'm going to, I'm going to drag like 10 or 15 seconds off of this and, you know, aware that there's a guy next to me that maybe like whether this goes through his head or not, this might spark something. He might get irritated. Yeah. There were two minutes that got added to the end of the game, but there were two goals, a penalty, like that little scuffle that popped off probably took a minute. So yeah, job well done absolutely absolutely i love that stuff i mean i I think that that's and that's the thing that is so impressive to me about obed is he seems to appreciate these little nuances of the game that you know you have veterans that don't always you know uh understand the way to do it and and it's and it's i don't think he's getting coached up i don't think you can coach that stuff in players i think it's just completely instinctual and and I, it, it really does make me think that he has a future that is, you know, like, I, I don't think it's going to be, it's not going to surprise anyone. I don't think at this point, if he ends up being the most expensive outgoing transfer in, in Sounders history, it's not the highest bar to begin with, but I, I think what's more intriguing is how much he can accomplish while he's here. And what we're seeing is a player who isn't just going to, you know, he's not going to get a thousand minutes with the Sounders and then be gone. I think, you know, I, I think he could be absolutely an important part of helping this team win trophies this year, if not in the future. Yeah, I I do want to know, even if these little, you know, little bits of nastiness are things that you could coach someone to do in the past, that's sort of been a criticism of Schmetzer sides that they kind of lack a little bit of that that's one of the things that you know it's a minor thing but it's something that's been leveled at christian rolled on in his time with the u.s national team that he doesn't employ like tactical fouls in the way that some people might like these are things that you know they've got to come from somewhere maybe it's from watching liga mekis with his dad as a kid or whatever but Obed Vargas is a football sponge. Like he, yes. I, I think he could learn from anything. I he's a savant. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, and that kind of brings us into uh, to Wednesday's game against New York City FC. This is a, a huge moment, I think, in Sounders history. I don't know. I don't feel like there's the buzz around this that it deserves to be. Uh, you know, this is the first time the Sounders have been this far in Champions League since. 2013. Uh, I don't think the level of expectation was particularly high then in part because this was all so new, but this is a, a huge, huge opportunity. Uh, New York city FC is the defending MLS cup champions, but they're struggling a bit right now. Uh, They're struggling in ways that the Sounders have not really had to struggle. The Sounders feel like they are the team with the much better experience uh, in this sort of competition. They are the team that feels like they are, Uh, a little bit more ripe for this, this, I don't know. I'm, I I hope there's a good crowd there on Wednesday. And I hope beyond that, that people appreciate what a big opportunity this is for the Sounders to, to make history. Uh, 
you know, and they, they would be only the fifth team in MLS history to get to the Champions League final if they can get past New York City. Yeah, I I don't want to make too much out of it because, you know, I jinxes aren't real, so it doesn't matter. Whatever. Uh, but the the Sounders are really rounding into form in a way that is really exciting. They have played some really good football recently. They are getting their best players healthy and better involved. I think the fact that Albert Rusnak had one of his best games so far this weekend in a game where, you know, not all at the same time, but they got him and Nico Ladero and Raul Rui Diaz all on the field. They've, to my knowledge, not had all three DPs on the field in a game yet this season. The the possibility of being able to start all three guys yeah. against New York City, where, you know, Schmetzer has said the reins are off. Rui Diaz and Ladero are ready to go. Um, the fact that he looked so good and that the three of him, Joao Paulo and Ladero looked so good together. Uh, this team is ready to make some noise and, you know, maybe some of the, the lack of buzz is because they're playing another MLS team. It's not a Liga MX team, but New York city are at least a team that has the potential to be really good. Although they got spanked by a Toronto team that I would say is not very good this weekend. Um, using what appeared to be their first choice lineup too, right? Yeah. I, the, I think the Sounders are just a better team one through 20 than New York city is. And it's going to be a really exciting game to watch. I think this is going to be a great series. Yeah, I do too. I think I'm, I'm really excited for this. And if the Sounders get past uh, New York city FC, they will play one of Pumas or, uh, Cruz Azul, which are two uh, of the what's normally called the Cuatro Grande in uh, Mexico, which are the the four you know two of the the four big historic teams in in Mexico. They both play in in Mexico City, uh, although not they, one of them plays on the uh, the camp the college campus. The other one plays at um, at Estadio Cruz Azul plays at Estadio Azteca. Uh, which I guess is only because they are in the middle of refurbishing their stadium uh, or building a new stadium, one of the two. Uh, but in any case, it's it's potential, like uh, it's all shaping up very nicely. I hope the Sounders can see this through. At the very least, I hope they get to this final. Uh, I am I am excited for this. And, you know, we'll, we'll have a little bit more of a preview on New York City FC. But just generally speaking, I, I really hope people are excited about attending this because it's, it's a, it's a huge opportunity. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's going to be a great game. I think the, the matchups are all super interesting. You know, you've got Tati Castellanos, who was the MVP last season. He's going to go against Javi, who fortunately came out as a precaution, but while he was on the field, this weekend had an incredible game. I mean, he was lights out both defensively and going forward. Um, Jackson Reagan's going to be in the mix, presumably there uh, should be a really good game. And then the series is going to close out at Red Bull arena, which is a 
great stadium and a funny place for New York City to play. It, it is. It is a very funny place uh, to play, but that is sort of the way these things the way these things go for New York City, they, they of course, did not have their stadium approved. Uh, Yankee Stadium was not approved by CONCACAF, so they are playing at their rival stadium, which probably is, is better for the Sounders, I would think. Uh, it's like, even if there's a good crowd, I, I think I would feel much better playing at Red Bull than at Yankee Stadium. So, uh, bully for us, I suppose. Yeah, the N in NYF, NYCFC stands for nomadic, I think. There, Yes, that's I like that. Uh, good, good note. I think we'll we'll maybe call that a show. Uh, thank you uh, for listening. Uh, this is the Center at Heart podcast. I'm Jeremiah Shan, and signing off for Tim Foss. We will catch you next time. <laughs>